Hello everyone and welcome back to my podcast. Oh my god, it's been literally so long. I'm so sorry about it. I literally launched a podcast on 22nd of March and that was the end of term. And then straight after that, I had so many essays to write. I literally finished on the 6th of May. That was my last submission. And now on the 12th of May, I'm supposed to hand in the title of my dissertation. And that is basically it. I am writing my dissertation all summer and I'm almost done with my master's, which is crazy. But um, I've had about a month and a half full of essays to write and uh, I tried to take a break here and there but at one point um, I was just overwhelmed with work and I had to invest as much time as possible on my assessments and yeah so the podcast went out of the window unfortunately. I was trying to get into a pace where I was posting every two weeks like every second Monday um, so that I wasn't too overwhelmed with work but it just didn't happen and it's okay. <laughs> but today we're coming back strong and we're speaking about an issue that has been very relevant in the news recently. Recently, I mean for honestly for years, but I feel like since May last year, May 2020, it's particularly gained a lot of importance, um, especially in social media, I think, and that is the topic of racial justice. I wanted to speak about this topic because obviously while I was absent, <laughs> which was a while, um, it's been something that people have talked a lot about. Um, it kind of started last year with Black Lives Matter, but um, then this year um, on the news we've, we've heard a bit more about Asian hate and um, especially in the last three months there's been lots of episodes of Asian hate and of course the topic even of Black Lives Matter and you know obviously such a big topic um, racism in general is so relevant and we've come to about a year since um, the murder of George Floyd and uh, recently there was finally also a trial where the people the policemen who killed him were charged um, so it felt all right to speak about this topic and I'm gonna try and of course be as um, objective as I can and speak about facts because obviously that's um, the main purpose of my podcast but this is a topic where it's really hard to be objective because of course um, I do not have the experiences of a black person or an Asian person. I am white. <laughs> I am from Italy. Um, I'm very privileged. I've never been a victim of racism before. 
I was lucky enough to move to the UK when I was 19 and find myself in a very diverse environment culturally and meet friends from different cultural backgrounds and different ethnicities, um, people with um, different heritages and uh, I've had some of these conversations with those people but I, um, I've never gone through such things. This of course does not mean that I do not care about um, these issues and that I think they are unimportant and actually there are a lot of connections with things that I've recently studied in my human rights masters. It's a very complex issue and I can't wait to go more into it. But yeah, so um, last year, May 25th, 2020, um, George Floyd was murdered by um, particularly one policeman um, in Minneapolis and his murder was one of the many murders that um, was executed just based off of race. He was basically murdered and treated in such a, in a degraded manner simply because um, he was black, he was an Afro-American and um, his murder kind of kick-started a series of protests um, and of course the Black Lives Matter movement which actually like I, I believe it existed before and it was much relevant even before but uh, of course the, the murder of George Floyd kind of um, kick-started a series of protests in the US and interestingly and importantly in many other countries in Europe. I thought this was very interesting when it happened because um, it was in the middle of a pandemic. The US was in a really difficult stage at this point. And even though the lockdown was not enforced nationally in the US, and um, I believe it's still not enforced nationally, I think each state has control on the different measures that they take. Still, you know, it was a kind of like the beginning of everything, so a lot of things were closed, people were trying to leave their houses um, as few times as they could and, you know, avoid public spaces and stuff. So, of course, like, <laughs> going out to protest was the less recommendable thing you could do, but it was very powerful to see that people would want to, you know, um, get over their fears for the virus and get over all the rules to protest about things that were very important to them to fight for social justice because they were horrified about what had, had happened. Um, of course, George Floyd was not the first Afro-American to be killed. Um, just a few months before, on March the 13th, um, Brianna Taylor, 
a medical worker in Louisville was murdered as well. And have to be honest, honestly, um, I mean, there is no comparison to be made. Like, what happened to George Floyd was horrendous. Um, and I'm glad he got a bit of justice um, in 2021. But I, the, the killing of Breonna Taylor really impressed me because basically what happened um, was that she was sleeping with a boyfriend in her house. And, you know, obviously she was a very hard worker. That was a period as well where um, she was working very hard because she was in the front line before the pandemic. And uh, suddenly this full policeman just came to her house and killed her without a proper excuse. And look, I, I read an article about that that was very informative from New York Times, which was published quite recently. I'm going to try and post it to the description, link, put the link, sorry, in the description um, to the podcast. Um, but of course, those policemen had a warrant, but the grounds for them coming to their house in such a way were just not there and also the fact that they just should have three times, first five times, sorry, um, without even asking much of her, they just came in and shoot her. And of course, like, it was a very complicated story, basically Breonna Taylor, um, before this relationship, before this um, guy he was, she was living with, um, and her witness, um, the murder. Um, she was dating another guy who was responsible for drugs trafficking, something like that. So they believed that even though they were not dating anymore, still um, some drugs were being handled in um, the apartment where Brianna was living. And, uh, and yeah. So they um, they just came in without much notice in the middle of the night. They knocked on the door. Um, apparently, according to the boyfriend, um, they did not introduce themselves, did not say that it was the police and why they were there, which they were supposed to do. Um, and then the boyfriend was harmed. He... Like a lot of people in the US, he actually had a weapon and uh, he said that he he took it because he thought he was um, Brianna's ex-boyfriend, the one who um, was doing the drug trafficking. I don't know, I'm assuming um, it was an abusive relationship of some sort, so he was worried about Brianna. So he, he went to the door, he opened and um, there was a shooting, a brief shooting, where I think the boyfriend shot one of the policemen, the policeman shot back and then they just came in the um, department and uh, they found Brianna and they shot her five times and then they left. So this is basically what happened and <laughs> I mean technically you're supposed to be innocent until the contrary is proven. So of course this episode of police brutality has no grounds and I just found it 
extremely shocking. Um, I felt like before Black Lives Matter, people, especially in Europe, were not speaking too much about this. But anyways, what what um, basically um, made the murder of George Floyd so relevant and really made it, you know, kickstart all these protests was the fact that this murder, again, it was extremely unjust. Um, another episode of police brutality, um, another episode of racism, but also it was filmed and the film was circulated, was, I think, around social media, so everyone could see what had happened. And that was the moment where people were like, okay, let, let's just stop this. And yeah, so it was a very powerful event. I'm gonna try and link, I found some good articles about what had happened and the recent trial um, for the murder of George Floyd. So I'm gonna try and put the links to those in the description, but it, basically that's how Black Lives Matter movement in 2020 was kickstarted and yeah as i said before um a lot of you know um, america everyone in the west is looking over america so as soon as that happened even in the uk where i was at the time and where i'm still now uh, i i i could see that everyone was really involved, they were all trying to start conversations about race, they, um, a lot of white people like me uh, felt um, felt like we, we had to do more, we, we were not, we had not been doing enough and uh, we felt really guilty. Um, a lot of white people went, went to protests as well and a lot of influencers and social media um, started circulating um, posts of organisations you could donate to to help with the cause and everyone was speaking about it. it. It was just amazing in a way that such a horrible thing could lead to such a moment of activism in a moment where no activism was possible and where the only thing you could hear about in the news was COVID. Um, I remember, especially in Italy, I, I was not in Italy at the time, but I, I remember speaking to my parents and they were like, you know, like, all I can hear about in the news is COVID. <laughs> like, um, you know, they would just uh, try and, you know, turn to another channel and see if there was like a movie so they could distract themselves, especially because like the situation in Italy, especially where they lived, was so bad. <laughs> so like, you know, just wanting to distract themselves. Um, I know it was just about COVID. So um, I guess this was the first time people started thinking thinking, and, you know, speaking about something different for months. And it kind of showed that, you know, even though there was a pandemic, the world hadn't stopped. Um, injustice was still going on um, in very subtle ways sometimes, but it, it was still going on. So, yeah, since then, um, of course, during the summer, 
this was uh, very, um, Black Lives Matter was really prevalent, uh, but of course um, it kind of carried on even throughout 2021. And then of course there were trials going on for the murders that I've mentioned. And uh, it just became a very pressing issue, fortunately. And I think a lot of a lot of people kind of realized that, um, you know, it, it wasn't something that uh, racism, structural racism was not something that had been solved. It was still going on. And I could tell seeing like on social media and stuff like people of color on social media. I mean, people of color is a very bad term to use. Um, I'm trying to generalize here, but they were very angry because they were like, where, where were you leaving, you white people, like in the clouds. Um, we've going through microaggressions and injustices for so long and you just thought that everyone was solved, everything was solved. Um, and they were right, <laughs> of course. And yeah, so this um, happened and it's almost been one year since um, the beginning of this protest. Um, then this year, um, I have to say, even in 2020, but I feel like especially in March and April, uh, people started speaking a lot about Asian hate which of course had existed even before the pandemic, but um, the numbers now are absolutely insane. Apparently um, there was an increase of 1,900% of Asian hate in New York City and almost 300% um, in the UK um, during the pandemic. Um, and why? Because, of course, um, at least it looks like COVID-19, which is responsible for the global health crisis that we're going through right now, um, came from China. Um, and, um, and yeah, and of course, there are a lot of Asian communities in America, in the UK, but also um, in Italy, where I'm from, and uh, you know, people started blaming even those people of Asian heritage that lived in um, in those countries for bringing the virus to them, and you know, bringing all the problems that came with it. Of course, it's a global health crisis, but it's been also an economic crisis, and. Um, some could argue that maybe it will become a, or maybe not, <laughs> hopefully not, will be a financial crisis. And a lot of people had lost jobs. It was just a very complicated situation. And um, yeah, so these people that were um, probably already discriminated before um, based off of their ethnicity, um, now they were blamed for bringing all these problems to the West. And um, this was um, 
a particularly complicated situation from a human rights point of view because um, it kind of led to not only more hate, like verbal hate, um, which unfortunately has not only been seen in the streets and, you know, in jokes, in conversations, but also in the mouth of states people, leaders of states like um, Trump, who was at the beginning of the pandemic was speaking about this Kong flu um, situation and um, who had always made fun of um, of Asian peoples and uh, particularly of China. Obviously there were uh, tensions um, from a trade point of view between the US and China already. So of course this, this did not help. Um, but you know, whenever um, Asian, whenever hate is already present in the community and then people see that um, the leaders of a state kind of um, justify it, then it feels like all the episodes of hate in that communities can be justified. And that is a problem. Hate should never be justified. Discrimination should never be justified. It has such horrible human rights consequences in uh, society. And something that was uh, particularly interesting about these episodes of Asian hate that happened in 2021 in particular is that, um, again, even there, it felt like, <laughs> it felt like um, we white people, we, we, we didn't know what was happening. Uh, we, we felt like everything was great. Um, and it was just the pandemic that ruined everything. But then, of course, the these poor Asian people that lived in our communities, they had to enlighten us and be like, you know, like you've been living your little privileged um, house all day and uh, for many years at least. And uh, instead, we, we've been, you know, victims of discriminations and stereotyping for years. And you're just noticing it now. Um, which obviously was really unfortunate and it just kind of teaches us that we should really open our eyes a bit more. Um, but also the, the problem is that of course um, this issue was dealt with on social media which obviously was a really powerful tool um, but a lot of uh, celebrities and a lot of influencers on social media were blamed for not speaking out about this. Um, I'd say this phenomenon was definitely more there when it came to Asian communities rather than Black Lives Matter. Um, but yeah, the problem is that, you know, um, even a lot of white influences and white celebrities, white people in general, like we, we love Asian culture from certain points of view, of course. Um, of course, a lot of people like sushi, they like Chinese food. They like Hello Kitty, <laughs> they like Korean skincare, you know, things like this. And, uh, um, and all those people that had big platforms and lot of, lots of followers, despite liking all these aspects of Asian culture, um, 
which of course um, globalization um, brought to them, um, then they were not speaking for the people that brought those things to them in the first place and they were not fighting for their rights. So a lot of people were just accused of being hypocrites and unjustly. <laughs> and, um, and this was very interesting because I don't feel like the same happened with Black Lives Matter. There was hypocrisy around Black Lives Matter as well. Um, but I, I feel like it was a bit like on a def different level um, than Asian hate. We're, we're going to speak about that in a moment. And uh, actually, let's, let's speak about that now. I think the problem with this phenomena, especially when Black Lives Matter first started to be dealt with in the media and all the protests started happening. I feel like a lot of people were protesting about what was happening in the US without necessarily accounting for what was happening in their own countries. And even here, uh, I'm not generalizing, of course, there were um, many instances where um, people actually protested for things that were happening in their own country. Like, um, I remember the slogan in the UK that was, the UK is not innocent. Um, I remember a lot of um, Afro-Italians um, stepping up and speaking about how, you know, even Italy was not innocent from that point of view. But I feel like a lot of other people, even in Australia and stuff, um, I follow some Australian influences and they were just speaking about, oh, look at how bad the situation is in the US. Um, as if the same problem did not occur in other countries. And look, definitely the situation in the US is very interesting. There is a level of um, structural and systematic racism, uh, which is particular for sure but still it's a systematic racism it happens everywhere and you know it's it's sometimes it's not just african peoples peoples of um african heritage sometimes it's often it's also you know muslim peoples um there is lots of islamophobia going around in europe for instance, and um, a lot of the immigrants that came to Europe um, are Muslim. They are from the Middle East or from um, Arab countries, and uh, they are discriminated against. And there is nothing about Black Lives Matter that cannot be applied to their context and to how they're being treated in the West once they migrate here. So um, I think this was very displeasing to see, um, to, to be honest. And look, I'd say, especially when you came to Italy, um, okay, so this is my personal perspective I do not actually have as many numbers about Italy. I 
can just speak about what I know and what I've seen, um, I still think it could be relevant, uh, and I don't think it's wrong, <laughs> so let's just go with it. I I think that overall, historically, Italy has not really been a country of immigration. A lot of people tend to migrate away from Italy. Um, a lot of people have migrated from Italy to the US in the 20th century, um, which is why there's so much Italian culture in the US from certain points of view, especially in New York, I'd say. Um, a lot of Italians have migrated from Italy to the UK, and I'm one of those. <laughs> um, so I, I've always kind of seen and studied Italy as a country where people tend to unfortunately uh, migrate from and most often for economic circumstances. Um, only quite recently um, Italy kind of became a country where people uh, migrate to um, and this is because Italy is um, is in southern Europe, it's by the Mediterranean Sea, so of course with the Arab Springs and all that's been happening in Northern Africa and in the Middle East, it's kind of like the first country where people, refugees and asylum seekers from these countries can physically migrate to, they cross the Mediterranean Sea and they go to Lampedusa or uh, Sicily, and then from there, they go for a journey where either they stay in Italy or they are repatriated, unfortunately, or they are moved to other European countries, which is something that's still um, very messy and people have been trying to deal with. Anyways, Italy uh, has become a country of arrival um, during the refugee crisis, which was kind of like kick-started in 2015. And of course, it is not the only country. Of course, um, Greece is a country of arrival as well, and Malta, and one could argue in Spain. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's complicated. But um, at least that's what's been perceived in Italian news. A, a lot of migrants tend to um, arrive first to Italy because of its um, geographical position. And um, Therefore, when um, when this happened uh, a few years ago, people were really shocked <laughs> because they, I guess, they they were not used to all this um, cultural <laughs> diversity, in a way. And um, it, it's partly due to my own privilege, but even myself, I uh, if I think about my education, um, I've been to a middle school and in elementary school where I had some classmates that were from other ethnicities where whose families were from had different heritages they were not white Italians um, but was still the minority and actually like I remember in my high school everyone was white like it was absolutely insane everyone was white I can't remember seeing someone, you know, who was not a white Italian with 
a Catholic background or something like that, to be honest. Um, and uh, I, I definitely went to a very particular school and, um, you know, everyone can, <laughs> of course, there's a, there's a word I am not aware of um, for sure, but still, I'm, I'm sure that that is the experience of a lot of other Italians who went to schools and lived in neighborhoods where there, it, there was just not a lot of cultural diversity. And um, yeah, so of course, when this migration surge kind of happened, um, it generated a few social problems. On the one hand, I feel like people knew uh, deep down that th being ra racist was wrong, that discriminating based off the ethnicity of a person was wrong. But um, still it was something that they didn't know how to face and a lot of stereotypes and racial biases were attached to these migrants. And, and then unfortunately around the same time, um, a lot of populist parties started to arise around Europe and they kind of targeted a lot of the fears of the population and to, to gain more votes and migration was one of them and the problem about that is that they spoke about facts and numbers which were not necessarily true. Um, to this day in Italy people tend to think that uh, more people um, than there actually are are immigrants um, and uh, a lot of these people are actually taking away jobs, even though the reality is that it's um, actually refugees and asylum seekers, it's really hard for them to to gain jobs, especially, especially asylum seekers. And many of them, they're actually um, relegated in um, specific centers and camps, and uh, they are <laughs> not, um, as free to move as, as people think and find jobs, you know. Um, there, there are definitely economic issues in Italy, but they're, they're not due to the refugee crisis. And also, uh, we can definitely say that um, the number of refugees and asylum seekers currently in Italy is actually much more limited than people think. Um, I think it's below 60,000. And actually a lot more people are repatriated than people um, than people think. It's a very complicated issue and the numbers are all out there. And I'm going to try again, put some links here and there. It's something that I often come back to in my studies. Um, but um, it's not even worth speaking about it because um, the, the numbers are just there and uh, we should be really careful just listening to what um, populist leaders are saying to us with regards to these things so of course nothing is perfect of course there are refugees that are involved in drug trafficking and sex trafficking and uh, things like that but um, it, it's really a minority and uh, and yeah but all of this to say that, um, you know, I feel like 
a lot of people in Italy were speaking about Black Lives Matter and how unfortunately the, unfortunate the situation was, but they were not actually coming to terms with what the situation was like when it came to um, immigration in Europe and the treatment of migrants in Europe. Um, and I mean, I speak about Europe because I'm a European, but of course it's not different in other parts of the world. In Australia, um, right now, uh, asylum seekers are being kept in an island and for years before they can be integrated onto the main country and they are discriminated against, they're isolated. Um, and um, so, of course, even Australia is not necessarily innocent. Overall, globally, the situation of um, refugees and asylum seekers is, uh, um, is very difficult. And, of course, even in the US, there are lots of problems from this point of view. And there has been um, various pictures showing that uh, families are separated, that uh, children are locked into cages and hopefully not all the time but um, even if that happens once it's uh, it's it's not uh, justifiable and um, in if we want to bring the discussion to another level we could speak about indigenous peoples and in Australia indig the aborigines the indigenous peoples of Australia have historically been treated um, very inhumanely. They're still being treated very inhumanely. Um, their lands are being taken away by um, the white Australians who, at the end of the day, like, they're not the indigenous peoples, they're um, the uh, successors of the settler colonialists that came to the country years and years ago and um, the same is happening in Canada where um, the lands of indigenous peoples are being used for um, the benefits of the extractive industry um, generating profit for this industry but also lots of um, lots of pollution uh, which of course um, now we should know that it's not great and we are going to suffer and we are actually suffering even now the consequences of this. But um, also it's uh, disrespectful for the people who are living, um, who are, you know, indigenous of those lands. And um, I've actually spoken about this with a professor the other day. Apparently, one could even argue that there is a genocide going on, a silent genocide, because um, these indigenous peoples in Canada that are being, like the Innu, um, who are being deprived of their lands, they become so depressed because they completely, of course, lose touch of their own realities. And, of course, like they cannot even go back to those lands because those lands are modified by the extractive industry. So, of course, the environment completely changes and they get so depressed, they commit suicide. And that is, that is why we're speaking about silent genocide in those lands. And, you know, like, um, 
Black Lives Matter is a very complicated issue. Racism is a very complicated issue. And we should not just speak about what is happening in America. We should speak about what is happening around the world. Hello everyone, it's um, editing Victoria from the future <laughs> intervening here. I feel like I've been speaking a lot so far. Actually, um, the original recording was much longer and I was going to talk about other things, but I feel like it's enough for today. And, you know, this week you, you've heard my reflections about um, Black Lives Matter, a year after the old event and uh, maybe a little reminder of what has happened and my reflection about Asian hate and what I think about um, the activism that surrounds these horrible events. Um, and next week probably you will hear a bit more about my um, perceptions around what are the common features of the different these different kinds of um, racisms and uh, what could be the origin of this phenomenon and I will I honestly haven't recorded this yet but I will um, try and give some tips when it comes to activism based off of what I've heard from um, people of colour speaking about their experiences and what they think could help the most um, when it comes to contributing to these movements and um, probably share my experience in the UK, what I've seen and uh, um, how I feel about it. But for today, I think it's enough. Thank you so much for listening if you came to this point and uh, see you next week. Bye.